Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So beginning at Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. We've, uh, what we've just been singing is uh, really what we're going to try and do now, um, to behold, to see uh, the King, our God, and uh, as a result, to want to live for him and adore him. It's uh, very good to see you here, and I think it might be helpful for you if you either turn uh, in your Bibles to the reading that Peter read for us uh, a bit earlier, page 1015, or indeed just turn back in it uh, in, your, um, in your service order, um, and uh, that will be helpful, I think, in these next few moments. I need to confess to you, um, I, I was a bit of a hypocrite earlier this week. Uh, some of you know me well, be thinking, uh, well, there's no change there. But uh, let me explain. I, I really uh, don't like being approached in the street by strangers with clipboards 
So I felt like a hypocrite this week when, with clipboard in hand, I stood outside the co-op in Fullwood Village and asked people, if you could have one thing from God, what would it be? You know, if God said to you, what do you want me to do for you? What would you ask for? And I have to say, uh, I was very thankful that a good number of people were prepared to engage with my question, and they were all really pleasant about it, and that was a really nice surprise for me. And I was further surprised by some of their answers. One person thought for a while and then said, I won't ask for anything from God. Now, that was a surprise to me because I have loads of things that I would ask God for. And so I was left wondering if I was just not a very contented person. Another person I spoke to said she was an atheist. So she explained she wouldn't ask for God for anything because she didn't believe he was there. Fair point, said I. So I said, well, would you play along? What would you ask for if you thought he was there? And she obliged. And she said she would ask for peace in the world. And a number of others asked for that too. That was kind of a recurring theme for peace. Uh, One man said he'd ask God uh, uh, for there to be no more religion in the world. I thought that was a great answer. Ask God to get rid of religion. And uh, he explained, though, that he thought religion was the cause of so much conflict in the world. And then there were some personal responses. Long life for my children. Good mental health for my family. Now, one person asked for the guarantee of a future free from worry. I thought that was a great answer. Wouldn't that be wonderful? being able to look ahead to the future ahead of you and be sure there was absolutely nothing to worry about. Well, what about you? If you could have one thing from God, what would it be? It's the big question we're asking today because it was the big question on Jesus' lips one day 2,000 years ago. First in Mark chapter 10 and verse 36, you'll see there, Jesus asked James and John, two of his disciples, two people who followed him, what do you want me to do for you? And then a bit later, the same day, he met a blind man called Bartimaeus and he asked him exactly the same question. Mark records it for us. If you've got a Bible open, then it's over the page. Uh, If not, look down at the service order there. It's in verse 51. He says to blind Bartimaeus, same question, what do you want me to do for you? Clearly, it was the big question of the day. Now, before we think about the responses that uh, came, Do you see how amazing it is that Jesus asked this question at all? You see, on that very same day, on the same day that Jesus asked that question, he describes himself as the Son of Man. You can see it in verse 45, right in the middle of the passage there. And while that may not mean very much to us, to those he was speaking to back then, it was a staggering statement. The Son of Man was a well-known title from the uh, Bible book of Daniel, where the Son of Man is a man who is God, a man who has total authority in the entire world, a man who has all power over all things, a man to whom people bow down and worship. So to claim to be the Son of Man is quite something in itself, yet despite this claim to be the man who is God, in verse 45, Jesus says that he, the Son of Man, came to serve us. Now, isn't that a surprise? It's a shock to me. The one with all authority in the entire universe comes to service. I've got to tell you that if I were God, I'd have you serving me, running around after me, responding to my every beck and call, getting me a cup of tea at the every, every, every moment I want one. What a relief that I'm not God. And what a surprise that Jesus, the man who is God, comes to serve ordinary men and women and boys and girls like you and me. The one who is ready not just to serve us, but to ask us, what do you want me to do for you? 
If you come as a guest this morning, we're so pleased you've come. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, we know it's no small thing to come into a church. Look, I, I do it every week. But if you're not used to doing it, you might not know what you might find here. You might not know what, you, what might happen here. I hope so far you've been pleasantly surprised. And I'm imagining that this could be a real surprise to you so far. Perhaps you expected to hear about a God of rules or a God who makes demands or a God of impossible standards. When I worked for a church in London, I met with a mum who wanted her baby baptised and as we chatted about what baptism meant, she began to well up with tears as she said to me, I try my best but I just can't live up to God's standards. I've realised over the years that no matter how hard I try, I can never be as good as God wants me to be. And I've met other people like her as well. She's not alone. That's what many people think God is like. A God who demands the impossible. Expecting us to achieve moral excellence. A God who expects A stars, not just in our exams, but right through every aspect of our life. But you see, all this turns all that on its head. Here is a God who wants to serve you and me. A God who comes to to us and asks, what do you want me to do for you? A God who listens to us. And as we'll see in a moment, a God who is for us in the most wonderful way. That's a surprise. And the surprises keep coming in this passage. Look at the conversation between Jesus and two of his followers, his disciples, James and John. Uh, Verse 35, right at the beginning of the reading. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Blimey. I reckon if I approach anyone like that, they'd be a bit taken aback. And if I said that to somebody in authority over, over me, they really would be shocked by my inappropriate audacity. If I said to my dad when I was living at home, Dad, I want you to do for me whatever I ask, he'd have said to me, and I want you to go to your room right now and just think about what you just said to me. And if I said uh, when I was working in the newspaper industry, if I'd have said to my boss, Bob, that was his name, Bob Priddle, Bob, I want you to do for me whatever I ask of you, he'd have said to me, and I want you to go to Human Resources, and by the time you get there, they'll have your P45 ready for you to collect. The point is, you don't speak to anyone like this, but the two disciples spoke to Jesus like this. You certainly don't speak to those in authority over you like this. But despite the disciples' rather abrupt and abrasive approach, surprisingly, Jesus responds to them graciously and and patiently by asking James and John, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, verse 37, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. James and John were following Jesus because they thought he was the special one, not a previous incarnation of Jose Mourinho, you understand, but the special one promised in the Bible. God's king appointed to lead God's own people. And so Jesus' disciples assumed that Jesus would become president one day, and one day soon. And here they are, putting their own names forward for the top jobs in his government. Jesus, when you're president, we'd like you to, to make one of us prime minister and the other chancellor of the exchequer. How does that sound to you, Jesus? Okay. James and John are ambitious men. What do you want me to do for you? We want promotion. We want prestige and power. We want status. And who knows, perhaps they're imagining all the benefits that come with that kind of exalted position. A comfortable life of first-class travel, gourmet food, palatial surroundings, and a salary that would make them very comfortable indeed. Thank you very much. 
you could have one thing from God, what would it be? I have to tell you, as I picked up my clipboard to stand outside the co-op earlier this week, I thought a lot of people would ask for exactly this sort of thing. Promotion, a top job, a lottery win, a life of ease, prestige, power, status, riches, comfort, all that sort of stuff. But no, not down at the co-op. Maybe to their credit, the people I spoke to didn't feel it appropriate to ask for that kind of thing from God. Maybe they thought the vicar was looking for more worthy answers, you know, more altruistic answers. What about us, honestly? If we could have one thing, for just one, what would it be? Well, perhaps the, the best way to really engage with that question is to ask ourselves, what do you daydream about? You know in those moments when your mind goes for a wander, maybe it's happening right now, I hope not. What do you find yourself longing for? At times, it may well be world peace. Certainly if we've just watched the news and seen the devastating images that are coming at us from the civil war in Syria. Or when we see the remarkable picture of North Korea's Kim Jong-un shaking hands with Moon Jae-in of South Korea this week, maybe then we do dream of world peace. It's a great thing to long for. But my guess is that most of us, most of the time, in our dreams, I reckon most of us long for things for ourselves. For a life of comfort and ease. For a partner. Or a different partner. Love, material comfort, relief from the stress and worry of health problems and family concerns. You know, when your mind's wandering. Well, whatever it is for us, we know that James and John were crystal clear. They wanted promotion. They wanted a position of power and status and prestige. And while there's nothing wrong with wanting to better yourself, as we look closely at their request, we begin to see why what they asked for was so wrong. I unfortunately didn't put this verse on the sheet that you have in front of you. But if you've got a Bible, you'll see just a few verses before. Back in verse 32 we're told that Jesus and the disciples were on the road to Jerusalem. And the detail of verse 32 tells us that Jesus was leading the way. Very important. Imagine in your mind's eye, walking ahead, Jesus, with his disciples in a group behind him. Then verse 35, the verse that we do have all written down in front of us, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come up to him. Can you see what's going on? Jesus ahead of the group, and James and John picking up the pace suddenly, catching up with Jesus, leaving the other ten disciples further back, most importantly, out of earshot. And then James and John said to Jesus, verse 35, uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And we've already seen in verse 36, Jesus says, what do you want? And then they ask for these places in Jesus' government. You see, with the other disciples oblivious to what's going on further back, James and John are trying to get promotion, trying to get the best jobs in Jesus' place. And here's the problem. When we push ourselves forward or upward, when we want to get on, when we want to get up in the world, it usually means, not always, but it usually means pushing others down. Dawn Steele, one of the first women to run a major Hollywood film studio, was very honest about her ambitious ruthlessness. She said, I was so busy climbing up this ladder, staying above the water. If there was only room for one woman in a room, I wanted to be her. You see what she's saying? If there's only one space in the room and you want, you, you want to be having that space, you have to ensure that no one else gets it. 
Now look, even if we're not aggressively pushing others down as we climb the ladder, by definition, any kind of advancement means being above others. Ron White, the American comedian and actor, understood that when he said, I've never been one to look up the ladder. I've always looked down the ladder. As long as there's one guy down there, I'm fine. You see, again, I may not want to be top of the tree. I guess most of us are like that. But uh, I just want some others who are below me. That's what it is to be successful. Just wanting to be up, by definition, means someone else must be down, lower down than me. Wanting success, by definition, means I'm more successful than others. That's one reason why self-promotion is such a problem. So when the other disciples discovered what was going on, they were none too happy about it. Look down to verse 41, if you will. When the ten heard about it, they became indignant with James and John. Now listen, the other disciples weren't ticked off because they were morally outraged by James and John's grasp for power. The other disciples were annoyed because James and John got there first, potentially leaving the rest of them with the lower-ranking jobs no one wanted, just being a pen pusher and a civil servant or, or the tea boy. That's all the jobs that were left. So in verse 42, Jesus rounded them all up, and as my old dad would have said, he banged their heads together. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That's not how it is in my kingdom, says Jesus. And when we think about it, we can see why. If demanding things for ourselves puts others down, if my getting to the top of the tree means others are at the bottom, then personal advancement ruins relationships. It certainly ruined this group, didn't it? And that is so often the case. Things we, we desperately crave so often destroy relationships. I've, I've seen it when people have died. On occasions, I've met with a family to plan a funeral and, and found when I get there a kind of unpleasant atmosphere in the room. I have no idea what's going on, but we, we plan the funeral. And then at the end of our time together, as I leave the house, one of the family shows me to the door and then lowers their voice and apologizes because they know it's been a bit awkward as well. It turns out that before the old man is buried, they've been arguing about who gets the grandfather clock and his gold cufflinks. Grasping for anything, power, stuff, grasping for anything ruins relationships. So Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And here are two of his disciples, James and John, asking for things that are selfish and self-serving. By contrast, as we've already seen, Jesus met someone else that day and asked him exactly the same question. And compared to James and John's request, what this man asked for could not be more different it was later in the same day. We're now at verse 46. Jesus and his disciples arrived in a city called Jericho. They had no plans to stay there. They were just passing through on their way to Jerusalem. But Jesus' reputation has gone before him. By now he's well known in the area. And so as he walked through the town, a large crowd gathered around him, jostling to see Jesus. And as they passed through the city, we read halfway through verse 46, a blind man. Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. That's exactly the same question that Jesus asked James and John. But what led up to Jesus asking the question could not have been more different. Remember how James and John approached Jesus? Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Asking for a blank check from Jesus. By contrast, Bartimaeus, the blind beggar on the side of the road, shouted above the crowd in verse 47, and again in verse 48, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And here's the crucial thing. A cry for mercy is an acknowledgement of a desperate need and no right to have what I want. You see, I demand things when I think I deserve them. I ask for mercy when I realize I don't have a leg to stand on. Bartimaeus was desperate and he knew he had no rights to demand anything. He was a blind beggar for goodness sake. But the irony here is that although Bartimaeus was blind, he could see things far more clearly than the disciples ever could. Blind Bartimaeus could see very clearly that he deserved nothing from Jesus, that he was helpless without Jesus, that he couldn't make demands of Jesus, and he simply needed to throw himself at the mercy of Jesus. So verse 51, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And being a blind man, we're not surprised by his request. Verse 51, he said to Jesus, Rabbi, I want to see And that's a request that will resonate with many people here. I want rid of the things that cause me constant struggle. I want rid of my disability. I want to get better. I want the things that worry me every day to be sorted. I think of a friend of mine. I've known her for 30 years or more. She's only two years older than me and... Well, Caroline, my wife and I are going to see her on Friday because after months of aggressive cancer treatment, there's nothing more they can do for her. On Friday, we're, we're going to say our goodbyes, basically. I think of some of the people that I spoke to down at the co-op. They didn't give much away, and I don't blame them. They, they've never met me before. Why should they open up to me? But listen to the concern behind the things they ask for. Good mental health for my family. Long life for my children. A future free from worry. You can hear the pain behind their request, can't you? Well, look, Jesus gave this blind man his sight. And while this is not a promise that Jesus will give physical healing now to everyone who comes with him, to him with a right attitude, still there is something very important here. Jesus does want to meet our deepest needs Come back with me, if you will, to verse 45, that verse that we started with, really, the verse where Jesus described himself as the man who is God, the Son of Man, and where Jesus says that he, the Son of Man, the God-man, has come to serve us. And the way he does that, do you see it there in verse 45, is by giving his life as a ransom. He was talking about what would happen at the end of his life, dying on a cross. As he died on a cross, he was giving his life as a ransom. And that ransom tells us so much. 
One of my favourite films in recent years is Captain Phillips starring Tom Hanks. I've seen it twice. I don't often watch films twice, but I loved it both times. It tells the story of a hijacking in 2009 of a huge container ship, the Myersk, Alabama. It's a true story. The hijacking by Somali pirates resulted in uh, merchant mariner Captain Richard Phillips being taken hostage by Somali pirates in the Indian Ocean. The pirates ransomed the ship and the crew, demanding millions of dollars of insurance money from the shipping company. Now, now we're not sailors, but we're all at sea. And we're not, we're not being held by pirates, but we're not free to live as we want. And you will know that if ever you've tried to turn over a new leaf and tried your hardest to live a better life. I've got to tell you, it's one of the things that led me to become a follower of Jesus Christ. In 1982, I can clearly remember it, I tried to live a good life and I couldn't do it. And if we're honest, we're all the same. You'll know that if you've ever tried it. We can't live as we know we should. I still find myself so frustrated that I can't break free from thinking wrong thoughts or making hurtful comments, living a selfish, self-centered life. Some of us will know we're just like James and John, putting our others down in an attempt to get ourselves up. Back in 1982, I became very conscious that if I didn't live a better life, and I couldn't, then I would be in serious trouble when I came before uh, God Almighty one day. As a young mum in London said to me, I've realised over the years that no matter how hard I try, I can never be as good as I should be. But here's the thing, God loves me. And so Jesus paid a ransom for me. Not millions of dollars, but something far more costly. He gave his life as a ransom on a cross. He paid a price to set us free from the consequences of living a selfish life, a life apart from God. That's how he served us. And so what about what we want from God? Jesus, well, Jesus gives us what we really need. And if we come to Jesus the way Bartimaeus did, knowing we need Jesus to have mercy on us, acknowledging that we deserve nothing, seeing that we have a very great need, that we're not the people we should be, that we need to be put right with God, then the wonderful news is that Jesus has served us by paying the ransom price to put us right with God. And that means that all the worthy things we want will be ours. Just listen to this. Being right with God means that for eternity, I'll have a wonderful, loving relationship with God in a wonderful place, in a world of peace. One of the things we so long for. Where there'll be no more disability, no more sickness or illness or death. And so it will be a place where where we'll be able to look ahead and not have a worry in the world ever again. And Jesus' healing of blind Bartimaeus was both proof of that and a picture of that. Proof that Jesus can deliver. He's not just all mouth and trousers. He can actually deliver. And it's a picture of the kind of future he will deliver. No more sickness or disabilities. Look, as I close, just a couple of things. Uh, Thanks uh, for listening so attentively. Let's go back to Bartimaeus just as we close and we'll go back to him to see that there's an encouragement to have and a decision to make 
Firstly, an encouragement to have. To the crowd, the crowd around Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus was just an inconvenient veruca on the foot of society. As he cried out in verse 40, 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. He was a nobody, a blind beggar. As far as the crowd were concerned, Jesus wouldn't want to have anything to do with him. But here's the encouragement. Jesus did want to have something to do with him. One person at the co-op told me that uh, what they wanted from, they told me what they wanted from God and then they said, but God wouldn't be interested in such insignificant things. He's got a universe to run. Well, here's the thing. Isn't this wonderful? The man who is God, who has got a universe to run, is interested in you and me. And he wants to serve you and me. And he loves you and me. He wants to give us the best. The best future we could ever have. And so you might feel very much like blind Bartimaeus. Poor and insignificant. You might feel as if you're a nobody today. Well, look, you're an important somebody to Jesus. And if you cry out for mercy, Jesus hears the voice of those that no one else seems to listen to. Isn't that something? That's an encouragement to have. And here's the decision to make. Right at the end, we're in verse 52, the very last verse. As Jesus healed Bartimaeus, he said to him, go. Just one word, go. Jesus wasn't pushing him away, you understand. This wasn't Scarpa, get out of here, I've had enough of you. It was a gentle invitation to be free to go and to get on with his life however he wanted, really. It was a moment of decision for Bartimaeus. And at the end of the verse, end of verse 52, Bartimaeus followed Jesus along the road to Jerusalem. He really could see, he could see who Jesus was, that he was the man who is God. And Bartimaeus could see that following Jesus, even following him on a hard road, was the most obvious and most sensible thing to do. And so he decided to follow And in some ways, that's the decision before all of us this morning. We're free to go from here and live life however we like. And of the many ways we could go from here, one of them is this, we could follow Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, even though it will be hard sometimes, it surely will, it will lead eventually to the life we all want. In eternity, with God forever, with no more sickness, No more death, no more war, a world of total peace and where there are literally no more worries ever. Now that is the one thing I want from God. Well, in a moment we're going to sing again. Before we do, just two things. One is to commend to you and remind you of the encounters course that Chris mentioned earlier and if this sort of stuff is making some sense to you and you're saying you know I, I'm not really ready yet to follow Jesus but I'd like to know more about him this would be ideal or maybe you're saying I'm ready to follow him tell me more this would be a great thing to come to and if you can't even wait for that and you just want to know some more I've got a little booklet it's called The Real Jesus I'll be standing at the door uh, do take one from me just say I want one uh, no strings attached I'll give you one of those